Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts, and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team, and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this new episode of our founder series, we're sitting down with Candice Amori, founder and director of the Andec Climate Tech Fellowship, ODCT a 10-week program for startup and climate experts building world-changing companies together. I was super excited to speak with Candice to learn more about her own incredible story and the work-life experience that led her to launch, in collaboration with OnDeck, the Odyssey program. After completing the program myself, I have to say it is an incredible human experience, which brings an average of 150 inspired individuals, such as investors, current or future entrepreneurs, people seeking to transition to the industry, and climate experts from different backgrounds together into a supported community of talented peers. During the show, we will learn more about the challenges and opportunities in the climate tech ecosystem today. Then we will dive into the backstage of the Odyssey program, how it works, the initial challenges, what's next, and how you can get involved. Finally, we will cover Candice's view of the place for women in the climate tech ecosystem and our beliefs on the important role they have to play in the fight against climate change. 
during the second part of the talk, and this will share secret sauce to founders seeking to build a successful community experience with some interesting advice based on our journey as a community leader. Candice, welcome to the show. Hi, Candice. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super happy to have you uh, here with us today. Uh, and even more for myself, uh, as uh, I just uh, had the chance to wrap up the Odyssey 2 uh, program uh, with you guys. And uh, what an incredible experience. So thank you so much. So before we start, uh, can you give us a 30-second introduction about OnDeck and the Odyssey program? Absolutely. And Guillaume, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. So Onda Climate Tech is a continuous community where a diverse group of experts come together to build, to join, or to support and maybe advise impactful and hopefully world-changing climate tech startups. Fantastic. So let's start from the, from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, your story, your background? I mean, we like to know a little bit about uh, the speaker, like anything specific that's not public that you like to do, that you don't like maybe. I mean, who, who is Candice? Uh, and uh, I think we could use that as a, as a good uh, also segue to understand a little bit the, the motivation for, for you to jump into the, the climate tech ecosystem. Absolutely. So the things that likely aren't on my resume that are, I think, important to know are one, I was raised in an Iraqi Catholic family. So I have over 61st cousins, family and community is incredibly important to me. Second thing that I just thought of is I played rugby in college and now I do a lot of yoga. So I think that's been part of my progression is going from someone who tackles a lot <laughs> to deep breathing and yoga. But in terms of career, it's been absolutely varied. So in undergrad, I managed to essentially have a triple major in uh, sustainability business and policy, because I didn't know which of these levers would be the one to pull for climate. And uh, after that, I worked in Cambodia and microfinance and Singapore teaching, traveled a lot in Asia, worked in New York and Techstars, was on the founding team of a VR company, ran a local business. Like I've, I've done you know, a wide range of things in my career so far. And in 20, around 2016, I got really fascinated by the ethics of AI. I thought that was such an interesting question. And I've been reading a lot about bias in AI and, uh, and it just, it sounded interesting and fun and I missed math. And so I went back to grad school and thought that I was going to get a PhD in statistics, work on this as the thing that I cared about for the rest of my life. And it felt like this existential threat that I could work on and it would be my purpose for my life. So I started the grad program at University of Michigan. And during my first semester, the IPCC report came out, a 2018 IPCC report. And it floored me. And I realized that ethics of AI was one existential problem. Climate change was this other existential problem that I actually had cared about my entire life and I'd somehow forgotten about in my career. Um, I think that I had convinced myself that I actually couldn't make a career out of climate. And in 2018, when the report came out, I forgot about that. I couldn't think about the fact that it felt like an unstable career or I didn't really know how to turn it into a career. All I could think about is that the report was very clear. We have 10 years to take instrumental action. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't at least try and explore what was out there. And so this leads me into why I started ODCT, which we can go into, but that really was a pivotal moment in my life of, 
I know that I cannot do anything beyond climate. Fantastic. And, and, I, and I guess, like, did you explore, like, different, uh, different options about, like, getting involved into, uh, into climate tech besides uh, ODCT? I mean, because now we have the chance to have, like, different, like, platforms and, uh, you know, uh, Climate Tech VC, this uh, incredible newsletter. And we had uh, the chance to have uh, uh, Sophie on the, on the podcast recently just launched his job board. So it sounds that it's become, like, easier today to move uh, into, a, into a position, into a job, into a company that are, uh, you know, seeking uh, to fight uh, climate change through uh, different uh, various, uh, various ways that is not only a non-profit as uh, maybe uh, in, back 2016 and, and, and prior to that, it was more the, the case in itself. So how did it happen for you on that sense? Right. Sophie's great. I'm so glad that she's been on the podcast. Um, in 20. 18 when this came out, I was in grad school and I decided to still finish with the master's because I, it was interesting. And I took sustainable finance classes and really did try to explore where I could focus my time. ESG was booming and is still booming. And that was super interesting to me from a finance perspective, knowing that, you know, if people move all of their money, their personal finances to something that's a bit more equitable, cares about a sustainable economy, then that can make a huge difference. I also really wanted to start a startup. And so I got involved with my climate journey started by Jason Jacobs, incredible community, great podcast. Yeah. And, uh, and I started this event called Idea Jam, which is essentially a startup pitch event. And because I started it, I was like, I should do the first pitch, right? Like I should force myself to be the first pitcher because it's I, my events, be a good forcing function for myself. And when I started thinking about what startup I wanted to start, I didn't know where to go, right? I don't have this deep climate background. I was a bit nervous about what I could add to the space. Probably finance and ESG would have been a decent space for me. But what I really craved was being surrounded by climate scientists and entrepreneurs and policy experts and investors and people who had skills that were complementary to mine and backgrounds that were, that were complementary to mine, as well as similar to mine, where we could explore different ideas and find co-founders. And essentially I was thinking about what could this community look like so that I could then find my startup, right? Like that's what I wanted. And my climate journey and work on climate are awesome communities and we work really closely with them. And, you know, Air Miners, there are a million different communities now, thankfully in climate. And what I really wanted was essentially like a personal accelerator to help me meet a co-founder, come up with an idea and figure out where I wanted to focus my time. And there wasn't that space for me. And so I essentially pitched an idea very similar, right? I'm sure that all sounds very familiar to you as a participant of Onda Climate Tech. And so I pitched an idea very similar to what I ended up starting. So I pitched that idea um, at my climate journey, probably in August of 2020 in uh, a couple weeks later, Eric, the co-founder, the founder of On Deck, reached out to me and said, we have On Deck Founders Fellowship. We have an Angel Fellowship. We're just starting a Writers Fellowship. We're thinking about getting into sectors. And climate seems like this really interesting sector that we should care about. I know you care a lot about climate. You've been doing a fair amount of research and work in it. We think you'd be great at running this community. And they didn't really have as you know, a clear vision of what this could look like, right? They were like, go figure out what, what's needed in the climate tech space. And so I got to, in this role, 
And the reason why I took it too was if I want to make an impact, knowing that On Deck has this team of people, they have a brand. Um, and you know, back in September 2020, it was a much smaller brand even than it is today. And but I knew that it had firepower. And if I wanted to make an impact, doing it with other people made the most sense versus trying to just brute force and do it on my own. And so I got to essentially shape what on deck climate tech would look like. And in some ways, what the sector programs at on deck would look like at large. And so now we have health tech and fintech and all these other ones. And the main premise is that it's such a complex space that we need these different types of experts. And so, as you know, everyone in the fellowship is an expert in something, whether they built and scaled and sold billion dollar companies, or they are, you know, some of the top carbon removal experts in the world. They all need to be in a room together to actually discuss what solutions are out there, which ones Mm -hmm. are worth building, and also teaming together to make more scalable and hopefully impactful companies. So, and I don't want to, I don't want to break the the flow here, but before we go too deep into the uh, ODCT uh, program in itself, I'd like to zoom out a little bit and and, and take a step back. Uh, I mean, obviously you are the forefront uh, with this uh, this program and like with this incredible network that you are building uh, of the, the the ecosystem in itself. So, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the climate ecosystem as of today? Um, do you see any trends, any opportunities that is happening? Um, how do you how would you like you know um, give an overview about it? If we were to look forward to September 24th, 2026, so five years from now, I think we'll look back at this moment and think that this was this huge crossroads that we're seeing right now. I just saw a tweet earlier today that was said something like Gen X VCs all seem to be retiring and using climate investment as their form of philanthropy, which I think is hilarious and, and has some truth to it, actually. There's so much money, institutional money coming into the climate tech space, government money, grant money, there is just an influx of money coming into the space. And I think there's gonna be even more money um, in the coming years than, than we can imagine. The growth of it is, is it's growing more quickly in terms of VC money uh, invested in climate tech companies than any other space, including AI. Like the rate of growth is just higher than any other space. So ton of money coming in. The other really exciting part that you know is there's a ton of incredible talents coming from outside of the climate tech space into the climate tech space. So truly, you know, co-founders and founders of billion dollar companies who have done this in other spaces and are hungry to do something in the climate tech space. And they're not even committed to making a lot of money or creating another billion dollar company. They're more committed to creating an impact. And so a lot of money, a lot of incredible talents, uh, a lot of, I think, media and excitement in general And the other thing is that, and I hope this doesn't change, but the climate tech space today is so collaborative. There are so many VCs in this space and there's a new investment fund starting with two incredibly talented, well-networked people who explicitly say when they're raising their funds that we are not going to go after deals where there's a lot of competition because we don't add that much. If that founder says you all can add a lot of value to us, then sure, we'll take it, but we're not going to go over and compete with a bunch of other VCs. That's different than almost any other sector today, right? Like I can imagine a VC in another space saying, we're not gonna go after the hot deals because we just can't add anything. But climate investors and people in climate in general, I think are so collaborative, so excited to make an impact and really are in it knowing that, you know, they'll probably make money. I think the clear trend is 
we have to transition to a sustainable economy. The entire economy has to transform. Might as well get in early. You're, you're going to make money, I think. But that beyond making money, optimize for impact. And so those are in general, at the highest level, the trends that I see, which is this is so exciting from so many different perspectives. It's also incredibly exciting from just a purpose perspective. We all care about purpose. We all want to make a difference. And there are, there are so many great ways to make a difference. Uh, and if you can make a difference in climate, you essentially multiply, multiply the difference you can make in other spaces. So if you care about health, you can come into climate and make a huge difference in asthma rates. Um, and so it's not the only space where you can make a difference, but it, it has this multiplier effect that I think is really exciting and really inviting for people all over the world. So that's, those are the trends at the highest level that I see. Fantastic. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, in, I mean, clearly, as you, as you mentioned, the, the, the ecosystem is still not like mature, uh, I, I would say, uh, as of today, it's really like this, uh, this in a way, still early, early stage as an ecosystem. So what um, I would say, like, what do you think that uh, needs to happen to really have this ecosystem um, reaching a, a, a capacity of like accelerating uh, the deployment effectively of like uh, technologies and, 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 and new services uh, that can really support the 2050 uh, need zero goals. Um, you know, is there anything that you see that is like blocking this, uh, this really ecosystem to become mature or do you see any roadblocks or what needs to happen to really have like, okay, being able to say, okay, there's scientists, uh, there's founders uh, having ideas and the road is really like in front of them. Uh, nothing is blocking them to really like uh, put uh, to market uh, and grow their solution to really contribute to this, uh, at the end of the day, uh, this goal that we're all uh, chasing for. The two biggest places that I see a potential for impact are one in actually that idea phase. And so, in our fellowship, we have, like I said, incredibly talented people who want to come into the climate tech space who often don't have an idea or haven't landed on an idea. Some of them are climate deep and they actually have the expertise to validate the idea, to build, that, build out the idea, but they haven't found that idea that is also sustainable from a business perspective, for example. And so they have an opportunity or we have an opportunity to feed those ideas to technical folks. We also have a huge opportunity to feed ideas to not climate deep folks. And so the first thing that I think of is how can we as a community, as an ecosystem, gather ideas from academics who will never build. They just have great ideas and they wanna feed them to talented people who want to build, often you know, people that I see in the fellowship. And, uh, and that I think is a huge, huge unlock that I'm really excited to start working on. So step one, get ideas, right? Like that's, that's a huge blocker, step one. Step two is RMI had this great article about the four values of death in a climate tech startup. And the first one was essentially spinning out the technology forming a startup, assuming that it's more hardware, more of a, more of a tech innovation versus a business or financial innovation. Second one is finding product market fit. Third one is uh, demonstrating like a first pilot, for example. And then the fourth one is just reaching scale, being profitable and, and being scalable. And at each value of death, there is not enough support from, I think the larger ecosystem, but 
the thing that I'm really excited about in addition to that ideas piece is innovating on the finances available to climate tech startups. So there's a lot of conversation about how VC terms that are in the way that a traditional VC firm that is going after SaaS companies may not have the same impact or returns when they invest in climate tech. And that can be, that can create some misalignment between the VCs and the companies. And VCs are aware of this and, and want to be helpful there. There's also project finance, there's grant money that's non-dilutive. So these different almost siloed pieces of finance that climate tech companies can go after. And I really believe that one, there has to be more clarity in what type of climate tech founder should go after what type of financing at what point in time. It's right now kind of a black box and, and uh, there's not a lot of sharing going on there. So making that super clear. But the second thing is, you know, project finance, VC, like those are all financial categories that were created by people. And I think that we're at this crux where it's, it's important for people interested in helping climate tech startups really scale and, and get over these values of death to think about what new financial instruments are necessary and most helpful to, to the climate tech space. And so whether that's a mix of project finance and VC or a mix of financial, financial instruments that we just haven't seen or known about, um, I think that's a huge unlock that I'm really interested in, in chatting with people about and I don't hear it being discussed as often as it could be. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, I'd like to, to just go back to that little point. I mean, one of the points that you mentioned in terms of financing, in terms of like the uh, term sheet uh, that uh, traditional VCs uh, use to invest in, in SaaS companies or in the tech uh, industry in general. Uh, it sounds that according to what you mentioned, there is like this uh, discrepancy or like this, this, this friction uh, when you try to apply that to climate tech companies. Can you elaborate a bit more about that and what's your, uh, what's your take on this? Right, so general terms in a VC company, so let's take one example where it's a 10-year expectation of returns. Breakthrough Energy has explicitly said it's not 10 years, it's maybe 20 years, it's a bit longer. And that's because they're working with hardware, with you know nuclear innovations that may or may not happen, but if they do, it's a huge breakthrough and it's um, it would be world changing and they just got another billion dollars in investment from you know huge institutional financing. So they're clearly doing something right, but they had to smartly innovate on the traditional VC model that has worked really well for SaaS, so software startups. And that might not work as well for the companies in climate tech that might be pure hardware or might be a mix of hardware and software where you just need longer amounts of time to, to get, those, uh, get those returns. If you're a VC company that is only investing climate tech solutions that are purely software, you probably don't have to change anything. But some of the, the biggest breakthroughs, pun intended, I guess, for breakthrough energy will probably include some piece of hardware that is, is, uh, requires thinking through that VC model a little bit differently. And the thing that I really want to hit on is that I think the big unlock is when we talk about ideas and when we talk about new types of financing and also just clarifying the types of financing that are there today is bridging the silos of experts and of people working in the space, knowing that we are so interested in being collaborative. And that's a really hard problem. And, and we're solving one very small piece of it. So, so this is not like, this is beyond onda climate tech, right? Like 
this is for the entire ecosystem. How do we, and the leaders of different organizations and communities and investment firms and types of financing come together to figure out new ways of being helpful and, and driving the ecosystem forward? That makes sense. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's uh, it's, it's it's very insightful and, uh, and and very exciting to to see that the ecosystem is like it's uh, it's it's on fire for the for the good cause. Uh, so let's dive into uh, ODCT. Um, I mean, you already uh, covered uh, previously, like the, the, the in a way the the story behind it. I don't know if you have anything to to add to uh, to the, the the why how it started and uh, and 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 the motivation behind it. But can you tell us a bit more about like also like for who? I mean, why uh, should I join? And in a way, what do I get when I join uh, ODCT? Absolutely. I'm going to start with the goals that I have for this community, which is essentially market making, right? Creating more shots on goal of climate tech startups. You asked the question about maturity. And I think most people would agree that a lot of big corporations making their 2050 bets don't actually know how they're going to get to net neutrality. And that's okay. We should make unreasonable or think about, we should be so imaginative that things feel impossible. Like we have to be right. Like, can we actually solve climate change in one generation? That's really catalyzing. That's really exciting. And that's going to motivate people. So I actually don't, I don't have any problem with the idea of saying we're going to do something when we actually don't know how to get there but now it's game time and now we have to figure out how to get there so because we are early in the ecosystem we're fairly nascent in terms of this this uh this part of the climate tech you know story it's i think imperative that we have more than goal meaning we just throw more things at the wall to see what sticks what technology innovations what business innovations can make the biggest impact and to do that we need two things which are other you know, huge guiding principles of what we do. One is all hands on deck, another pun, of course, but people in the climate tech space say this all the time. And I think it's so true. We need people from all different types of backgrounds, meaning actually people who are diverse, people who are globally diverse, people of different perspectives, people who are indigenous and CEOs of corporations. Like we cannot leave anyone out of this conversation we do have to center all these different types of voices that often are not centered. So all hands on deck in terms of diversity of backgrounds and perspective, and that includes people with different types of expertise. Everyone needs to be involved to get us to a sustainable economy, which should be our end goal. We need a more sustainable economy that's regenerative instead of degenerative. And the reason why I'm excited about big goals is because we need to bias for action. And if we think about these exciting possibilities and opportunities that we have to create the future that we want, then I believe that we won't be as sucked into doom and gloom, but way more sucked into knowing that we have a role to play and we just have to figure out what that role is that we want to play. So I actually don't remember what you asked, but I think you asked, how, how, how do we do what we do? So, so you, you asked, who is it for? I think it's for anyone who is super skilled, um, has a great background and is 100% committed to building and working in the climate tech space. And so there's so many people, we get four to five times the number of applications as we have spots. There's so many incredible people that should be in climate and I want to help them get into climate through our resources that are public, videos, journal articles that we put out. 
like there, there should, you know, it, it shouldn't be exclusive in terms of the information and the network. So I'm truly here to be helpful in whatever way I can to other ecosystems and communities and people who, who end up not making it into the fellowship. But for the fellowship and for the sake of what we're trying to do in terms of more shots on goal, we really care about the individuals who are coming into it, being deep experts in something and being committed. So those are the two things that, that make someone um, a good fit for us. We're mm -hmm. right now 30% international, 40% women, would love to up both of those numbers because I think that the diversity piece is just so important. Um, and the thing that someone gets out of it that I hope is that wherever they are today and wherever they wanna go, we help accelerate that. So I know that's, that's vague, right? Because we have all these different types of experts at different places with different goals, but if we could just help them accelerate it, usually through meeting other types of experts who have those complementary skills or can fill in some of the gaps that they need to be filled, then we've done our job. And the way that we do this is gather incredible people and help you all meet each other. That's number one. Everything that we do has that goal in mind. So community events, socials, um, those are all, all great ways that, that we help you all meet each other. Community events are events hosted by fellows. So again, experts in something, you have a lot to share. Curated connections, crews and masterminds, again, more ways for our fellows to get to know each other so that you all can make those connections and help each other get to the next step. Uh, incredible external speakers. And our external speakers take most of, our, most of the time in our events are Q&A. And very often external speakers who are incredibly busy might say before the talk, Candice, I don't know if you want, if I want you to share my email address. Like I get so many emails, I might not respond. Every time a speaker has told me that at the beginning of an event, which happens sometimes when they're super busy, by the end, they'll give out their email address and say, you all ask such great questions. I want to connect with you all and I want to be helpful. And so connecting people in our fellowship with the speakers that we bring in who are, who are just incredible. And then the last thing is that bias for action and that more shots on goal. We host build sprints. And so the last one was a three-week build sprint. We want to, I want to do a better job of feeding ideas into it and helping people with, with ideas who are part of the program or, or related to the program um, share those ideas. And then the whole thing, the whole idea is that teams come together, you know, get to know each other, work really hard for three weeks, pitch their idea at the end. And then at the end, we also want to be extra helpful in, in helping any of those projects that are well suited for becoming a company actually become a company. So that's, that's what we do. That's exciting. You know, I, I really like your incredible experience uh, during this, uh, those last uh, 10 weeks. So just uh, I wanted to uh, go back a little bit regarding the, uh, the, 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 the format in terms of like uh, the, the, the speakers. So you mentioned like all of those uh, Q&A. Um, how do you source those, uh, those, those speakers? I mean, do you, uh, is based on the network, people reach uh, out to you guys and and then if you can give us maybe an example of like uh, one of the uh, inspiring uh, session that uh, that uh, you had uh, and why that session was inspiring, useful for the, I would say like the, the fellowship. What was this magic uh, that happened during that session? Yes. So you did break out. And so editor, you should cut this piece out just because I want to clarify. <laughs> I want to clarify what you said. But your, your ask was, how do we source the speakers? And then what's an example of like a really inspiring speaker session that we had? Yeah. And what was okay. this magic that uh, that could happen uh, during that session? Why, why 
you know, mm. someone maybe speaking about, and just take one of the example and just say, okay, that uh, to me was reflecting a little bit like the the spirit or the, the, this magic that uh, alchemy that uh, you're creating through the, the program. Yes. Okay, cool. I got it. And you're not breaking, uh, by the way. Oh, That's almost. good. I'm glad. So. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, so to source speakers, it's been surprisingly easy, actually. I think we were really lucky to have really high caliber people who, and I hate that word. And, and again, we don't want to be exclusive in general, but just for the sake of what we're trying to do, we have 150 people, which is already a large group of people. And we try to make sure that, that they're all, you know, you know, deeply skilled and expert enough to be able to, to build things quickly and, and help each other. And so that's just the nature of our program. So that's, that's why we focus on that. There are all these different communities and ways to, to make an impact, but that's, that's the lever that we're pulling right now in terms of climate impact. So in terms of getting speakers, it's been incredibly easy because our fellows often know speakers or I just reach out to a speaker and say, this is what we're doing. This is the purpose of this. And I honestly have not gotten one no that I can think of right now. Like I have to think about it and, and I don't think we've gotten one no. And maybe that means we should go after, you know, Greta Thunberg and see if she'll, she'll join because I, I haven't tried to reach Bill out Gates to her. maybe or but, Al Gore. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Actually, Bill Gates, that, that was the one. No. So he was on a book tour and they were going to fit us into that book tour. And then they, they just said, you know, it's we can't at this point. And it was when he came out with, with his latest book about. Um, about uh, it's not all we can save. Do you remember the, the title of Gates's last book? So it's like the, how to avoid the climate disaster. Yes. How to avoid a climate disaster. So while he was doing that tour, he almost came to speak to our first fellowship and then he couldn't make it. So that was the, the one note that we got, which was understandable and, and a timing thing. But beyond that, I, I've gotten every person that I think is incredibly inspiring in this space. A lot of them are big names and some of them are not as big of names, but are brilliant. And so you asked me which was the most inspiring talk and it's really hard narrow it down maybe the one, one that you prefer I, you know <laughs> yeah no no, no. I, I totally I'm gonna cheat though and, and give you three so Katie Stanton who was part of Moxie is started Moxie Ventures came in and was really inspiring to our fellows in terms of just having grit continuing to go not taking no for an answer and giving really tangible ideas of how you can get into investment if that's a space that you want to get get into Bill McKibben came in and was super inspiring on movement building and the idea that community is actually a technology and you can expand the definition of climate tech, which we do purposefully all the time to not just tech innovations, but all these different types of innovations, including social ones. And the last one is Saul Griffith. And he is probably the first person that came to mind. He uh, started Other Lab, which is, he's a MacArthur genius, essentially feeds ideas into Other Lab and other people build them just incredible work that's coming out of that space. And then he also started Repowering America, I think is what it's called. It's a nonprofit. They put out this great report that essentially laid out in the most tangible and clear and concise way that I've ever seen how we can actually meet our goals by 2035. And so his whole thing is electrify everything. Mm -hmm. And he did the math. He sat there, he did the math on how we can do this. And I think we just need more of that thing, that, that sort of thought process happening where we think about these audacious goals and we work backwards in terms of how do we actually meet these goals? 
And who do we need to plug in to be able to meet these goals? Uh, and, that, and that is just inspiring. Then it also answers the question of what should I be doing, right? If I'm someone who wants to electrify America, like what is step one? I can go to that report and understand all the gaps in, in the market to get us there and plug myself into that. So I, I think those are, that's a sampling of three speakers. They're, they're all, Saul is Australian. They're all, you know, fairly US and Western centric. And so uh, there have been some awesome speakers from around the world, but that's something that, that we want to double down on is more speakers in the developing world, more speakers who are doing work in Africa and, and are African. And we have a, a fair amount of fellows um, in the developing world and in the global South. But, but uh, if anyone has ideas of speakers, just email me and I would love to bring them in. Fantastic. So what's, uh, what's next for Odyssey? Uh, I mean, I guess like it's Odyssey 2, probably you guys are launching <laughs> Odyssey 3, uh, hopefully uh, Odyssey 26 uh, in, in a few years from now. Uh, so what, what's next for you, for, for you guys in terms of like, uh, I mean, I, I guess you, the first edition, you saw a lot of challenge and opportunities. Maybe you can you know, share some of them about that and how did you overcome them? And then what's, uh, what's next? Mm -hmm. The biggest, probably the, the biggest problems that I want to solve are twofold. So one is that, that um, subject matter experts, so SMEs in climate scientists, academics, look at the ONDEC Climate Tech Fellowship and think, why would I pay for a fellowship? And so I just think the terminology and the marketing there is a bit off in terms of that group of people. And if they're not looking to start a company and immediately be a founder or join a company or be an advisor and have a stake in a company, then they offer a ton of value, but they actually don't get as much back if they're not already really interested in the entrepreneurial space. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about is how can we bring them into the fold, give them more of a, of a high touch mentorship or advisory experience where we you know, match them to the greatest founders who could use their help. And so I have this vision of maybe these folks are not, some of them will be in the fellowship, especially the ones who are building and joining companies. But I also wanna make sure that I have this hotline of potential advisors that are you know, incredible subject matter experts, like the people that if you can think about who could accelerate the role of startups in solving climate change, like these are the, these are the people that we want there. And so that's, that's one thing that I'm trying to build out is a sort of advisory board that I can bring in ad hoc for, for our founders and just show people like, if you wanna to talk to any of these people with different types of expertise, let me know and we'll connect you. The other thing, and this is actually related to that group of folks, is the idea marketplace. And I would love to have those advisors or uh, you know, people on, on a climate tech advisory board feed ideas into the fellowship and for them to say, we don't want to start these ideas ourselves, but here's something that, that the talented people in this fellowship maybe should take a look at and, and start working on. The last, last thing, I mean, there are so many directions that I could go in for this. <laughs> so I'm not going to go in a million different directions. But um, the last thing that I want to, to highlight, which does go into, I think, just advice that, that I've stolen, essentially, from Eric and Peter Reinhardt. Eric was a fellow, and Peter came in to speak. He started Charm Industrial. And they just do so together. They do so much great work in climate. The advice that they said that really stuck with me was just go deep. 
doesn't matter what you go deep in, right? If you're really interested in wildfires, learn as much about wildfires as you can. Read all the papers and within six months or less of going really deep, asking yourself questions and why does this happen? And, and you know, how does finance come into this? And just asking yourself questions and really going deep for just six months will probably make you a world expert in that thing. Mm. It'll give you more information about the regulatory framework, about how to build a company than going broad. And so um, something that, that we're working on building into the fellowship is helping people go deep, giving them the confidence that they can actually go deep, they can become an expert in something, and that it's probably the best way to focus on a, on a topic and figure out where you can make an impact in climate, even though it mm-hmm. feels counterintuitive, right? People want to keep their options open, go really broad. I think just go deep and whatever we can do to help founders or potential founders go deep is, is something that we want to lean into. So maybe having those uh, sub uh, climate tech subcategories, because I mean, climate tech is like basically covering everything. I mean, it's, uh, that's interesting. Thank you so much. So um, no, a couple of last questions that I have uh, I've for you and, uh, and, and I expressed that before. And I'd like to uh, understand a little bit about you know your point of view related to the the the, the place of 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 women uh, into the, the climate tech ecosystem. Uh, we recently released this uh, list of twenty uh, incredible women driving the the change of the of the ecosystem. Uh, there is more. Uh, if you look at the podcast, I have the chance to interview many of them. So uh, compared to the the traditional uh, startup ecosystem that um, uh, I was working uh, with before, I feel that there is. Uh, there's a push. Uh, I don't have all the stats and data on that, but w- what is your uh, what what is your take on that? And do you believe that uh, they have an important role uh, to to play in the fight against uh, climate change? Absolutely, yes, I think so. <laughs> I, I but, think, and, that... and you're women yourself. So it's fantastic. <laughs> it's true. I think that. The gap that we are filling with the fellowship and, and the work that I just really care about, right? So fellowship aside, the work that I'm really interested in right now, given everything that we talked about so far, is how to make sure that every voice is heard and counted and makes a tangible impact in the space. And, you know, we have this, this, uh, this principle in our fellowship that if anyone is more of a taker than a giver, then we just say no. Even if their resume is spot, you know, spotless, they have incredible expertise, they just seem like someone who wants to take, 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 then, then they're not a right fit for the fellowship. So this is a long way of saying, I think, one, women are incredibly important because we have a different perspective. We might not use war language when we talk about climate change as much as the average person in tech, right? It's not about necessarily winning or like, fighting. I think it's more about regeneration and collaboration. And some of these words that we don't often think about in tech, but that women given socialization and and whatever else that comes into it are just a bit more likely to the terms that we're we're more likely to think in. And so we're really important from a diversity perspective and, uh, and from what we can add and I think we're, again, like socialization and, and just whatever, whatever the reasoning is, more likely to be givers and more likely to think about, um, and this, that might be a contentious <laughs> fact, but in my experience, I think that I've, I've found that to be true, that 
even the most incredibly successful women who on paper I'm like so intimidated by and, you know, assume that they're going to have a huge ego actually are just excited about learning and about giving and about, you know, any success that they have contributing it to others and to, you know, luck and somewhat to their hard work, but more than anything, just trying to bring other people alongside with them. So um, anyway, I feel like that was, that was kind of an all over the place answer about why women are so important. But, but the last thing I'll say is that I've been more disappointed than not of, of how few women there are in the climate tech space. And so we try really hard to get women into the fellowship and we're still only at 40%. If this was called a climate fellowship, I imagine that the number would be 60 to 70%. So there's still this disconnect of people who are working in climate. So maybe nonprofits in policy in social movements who are overwhelmingly actually women. Like think about community organizers, indigenous people, Greta Thunberg, like truly just people who, who are leaders of the climate movement without climate tech attached to it. So many women are involved. Mm. So many indigenous people, so many people of color, right? Like it's, it's, it's so diverse. And then when we say climate tech, and we put that tech piece onto it. I think a lot of women feel like, or people of color and indigenous folks feel like that's not the right space for them. And so I, we did purposely call the fellowship, the climate tech fellowship. And we are purposely trying to expand the definition of what climate tech is to include movement making as a technology, to include business and, and financial innovations as a technology, um, and to make sure that it's a space where women feel welcome and know that truly women are an integral piece of this and we cannot solve anything without women. Thank you. It's uh, very inspiring, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you, uh, you you share that with the uh, with the audience and uh, and with us today. So um, my almost my last question for this uh, for this interview, uh, you opened uh, you know, you know any uh, uh, press uh, website information. We keep hearing about uh, you know this this disaster of climate change that's happening already today, and that is uh, in front of us. Uh, and I feel it sometimes very uh, demoralizing for a lot of people, and including myself. Uh, even though by taking action to uh, into climate tech, I'm, uh, I feel that uh, that I'm at least moving on on something. So, but do you feel that? Uh, what would you tell them to those people? Do you, are we doomed? Uh, do you think that there is hope? Uh, what to do, or which way to, to to go to kind of like keep this, uh, you know, this this hope up, if if any. I truly think that I had an existential crisis in 2018 and I think I report is a bit more stark than the last one. And, and I think it's super easy to, and understandable to be terrified and to feel like, you know, what's the point of anything? What's the point of working in this space when, you know, fossil fuel companies have been lying for 50 years. And, and if, if you dig into the data, which was the terrifying, terrifying part to me, right? You dig into the data and it doesn't look good, right? And so I had this thought experiment that I, that I tried with myself, which is, let's assume we are doomed. Would I rather do nothing or would I rather at least try? And obviously the answer was, I would rather at least try. And so that 
helped me get out of, I think that doom place. And I would say right now I'm not in that doom place, which is great. <laughs> but that was, that was step one was actually that thought experiment of, so what, if we're doomed, then I would like to go out at least trying. And I would actually like to go out with joy. And so there's this, you know, sometimes it can be such an emotionally complex and taxing space that it's hard to feel joy and it's hard to feel, you know, excitement about, about just the world. And I think, you know, just realizing that I wanted to be the type of person who would try and be joyful while trying were, were two unlocks in my own mental resilience. I had to learn how to feel grief and understand that that was an okay emotion and that we're going to lose rhinoceroses and cheetahs. And like we, we are actually going to lose species in our lifetime that, you know, are species that we love. And, and it's really sad and and instead of ignoring the sadness and the reality, I wanted a stubborn optimism that was rooted in reality, but that was still stubbornly optimistic. Um, and to feel when those feelings came up. And so actually getting comfortable with feelings is I think a great unlock for, for all of these pieces. We can't, we have to go through them. We can't subside them or, or try to jump over them. And so those are the tactical approaches, but then when I actually think about and what's made me more optimistic and, and leave that place of doom was understanding and seeing how many people are working in this space and learning more about just one, the resilience of people, two, the resilience of nature, <laughs> three, all the technologies that we're starting, four, the fact that we don't use most of our brain most of our time, right? We're probably both using five to 10% of our brain right now, I think. It's like such a small amount. If we can just figure out how to use more of our brains, like, and if we can band together, and if we can, uh, if we can really, you know, push this, this ecosystem forward, I, I think we have a good shot. I, I really, I, I, really do think that, you know, saying that we can solve climate change in a generation is feasible. If we work together and we make some huge breakthroughs and we chip away at the small obvious things along the way, which we have to do, right? There are table stakes things that we absolutely have to do. Um, I'm more optimistic and energized than I've ever been before. So the last thing is just get involved, take action. Um, we can't change our beliefs without taking action, right? Like, yeah we have to take action to change our beliefs. And I think that's been the most motivating, motivating piece beyond just getting out of that existential dread that I, that I did start with. And, and I think a lot of people will go through, they, go through if they haven't already. Thank you so much. Uh, very exciting. And you know, I, very, uh, very interesting to, to hear this, uh, you know, this uh, mental hack or approach that, uh, that you, that you have on, uh, on that front too. So how can the, the community uh, of listeners can help you today? So many ways. The any if anything that I talked about is interesting to anyone who's listening, reach out to me. Um, probably the best email is c my last name at gmail.com. So cmori at gmail.com. And I'm on Twitter, cmori, which is easy to remember because they're both the same. But if anything resonates, the idea marketplace and, and how do we get ideas fed into, into these talented folks who are doing you know, build sprints and trying to build things, I would love to hear about that more speakers and people who are working in the global South and in developing uh, worlds, then that would be fantastic as well. And I think the high level of just how do we all band together? And it's, it's so hard and it's so 
Uh, it takes a lot of work and effort at a community level, on an individual level. But I think if we can do that, we unlock so much. And this is this critical time where we have to come together and, and we want to come together. So if anyone has ideas on any of those pieces, I am so game and happy to, to chat. And if I can be helpful with connecting, with talking through ideas, with um, anything, like I, I am so available for that as well. Thank you so much. So any, uh, any question that I did not ask you that I, I should have for this part of the interview? Think. I don't, I don't think there's anything that you didn't ask me that, that I was dying to answer. I think the, the thing that I am starting to think about even more is, and it goes actually back to your, your question about women, because I mentioned a little bit about language and, and war language versus not war, war language and how language shapes the way that we think about things and the way that we think about things and frame things shapes the action that we take, the community that we build, shapes everything around us. And so thinking about regeneration instead of degeneration, thinking about how I heard this, this it was Paul Hawkins who said this recently that um, he started Drawdown and, and just came out with this new book about regeneration. He said something about how the best way to make something regenerative is to have the ecosystem feed into itself. So it's the circular economy idea. But I just love that idea of, of if something is degenerative, then you just have to loop it back to itself. And then it has mm -hmm. to, by just by being looped to itself, it has to be regenerative. So uh, those are not complete thoughts, but, but, but I'm thinking about language. I'm thinking about uh, circularity, regeneration, and, and framing everything that we do from now on. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Candice, for uh, that will conclude this, uh, this first part of the interview. Thank you so much for uh, your inspiration. Uh, thank you so much for all the energy uh, that you put uh, together to create this uh, incredible program uh, and really like fostering uh, the ecosystem to, to move forward and, and, and literally uh, pushing to find a solution uh, the fastest possible uh, in a collaborative manner uh, against uh, climate change. So thank you. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.